Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please support the show by subscribing to and leaving a five-star rating for the show on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also support the show by going to our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, where there's always exciting articles by the BNG writing staff. While you're there, don't forget to click on the fanatics.com banner for a great sports fan shopping experience. Are you done yet? We gotta start the show. Welcome to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, brought to you by the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by Bet Online. Go to betonline.ag and enter CLNS50. Today is November the 15th, 2020. This is episode number 203. And I'm your host, Matt Barry. And I am joined each week by Heather Ingerson. Hello, Heather. Hello, Matt. Hi there. And, and also, Mark Allred. Hello, Mark. What's up, Matt? How you doing? I'm good and ready to talk some Bruins. And before we do that, Mark has a, a little, a few words for us. I do. I want to talk about a show sponsored betonline.ag. NFL football continues this week, which has a few surprise teams at the top of the standings. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at betonline.ag. No matter how the schedules change or players that play, betonline.ag is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager than anywhere online. Head over to betonline.ag today and take advantage 
of all the great mid-season bonuses, offers, and contests. And please don't forget to use promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. And also a happy birthday today. Kevin Miller, Bruins defenseman, turns 33 years of age today. So happy birthday to Kevin Miller. And I thought maybe we could talk a little bit again about the signing of Kevin Miller, a little bit of a surprise to me, uh, especially giving him a little bit more than I thought maybe could have been given to him with 1.25 million, I believe, and a, a chance to make up to maybe two. Um, so it, it was an odd signing at the time, especially for a right shot D and someone who hasn't played hockey in a couple of years due to injury, very injury prone when he has been healthy, he's been, you know, tough. Uh, he's been able to be a you know good fighter, good, good, tough defenseman adds certainly an edge that the defensive core could use, but I don't know Heather, what, you know, as on his birthday today, we probably won't want to hammer him too much, but, uh, just your thoughts on Kevin Miller and what you might uh, expect from him. I expect him to have a very happy birthday today. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm very clear on my feelings on Kevin Miller. I don't expect much. I, again, wish that money was somewhere else. I would have, you know, just maybe gone with someone that we know will play, even if it's one of the young kids in Providence, but Happy birthday either way, Kevin Miller. I know your teammates love you and you seem like a solid dude. So, <laughs> Mark, what do you think about Kevin Miller? Uh, yeah, before I hammer on him, happy birthday, <laughs> sir. Um, <laughs> listen, you know, he's been a warrior. I've said this through and through. He's just been one of those types of players that, you, you know, you want in your locker room for leadership. You do want on the ice for that uh, occasion when he has to stick up for a player. But the, the whole timing of his, um, you know, his, his contract was just, it's just subject to speculation. And, and, and for me, I speculate on why it happened. And it was just the first day of, of, of uh, free agency. I thought it was very unnecessary that they went that into a deal like that when they could have just, you know, proved to the uh, NHL organization and in and, and training camp that, he can get a PTO and if he earns his spot on the team, he should get there. Uh, but uh, th those roster spots, and I know it's probably a seventh, eighth man, you know, rotation that he's going to be in. He's, I don't think he's going to be in the top six all the time. Um, but I just think that those spots should be reserved for players like Lausanne and Clifton to get in the action. And so on younger, healthier players. So I don't like the signing. I'm not a fan of it. All that. And like Matt, what you said was the, uh, the salary cap, uh, funds that went to his contract could have went elsewhere in more needs uh, moving forward, especially in the future uh, with future players. So that's, that's just my spiel. Uh, also uh, speaking of birthdays yesterday was our, our friend, uh, Heather and I's friend, Dale Lynn's uh, birthday. So happy 44th birthday or 60th, whatever. He's an old man. 854th. So, yeah. So happy birthday. <laughs> Shout out to my buddy, Dale Lynn. So Hopefully he had a good day, but that's, awesome. that's just my thought. Yeah. I, and I, you know, again, I, I, it's not that I don't like Kevin Miller or what he brought to the team when he was healthy, but he's oft injured. And like you said, the two things that really stuck out to me were signing him on the first day of free agency, which seemed like, you know, there was like a hot button item for some reason. And then to give him a little bit, I would have given him 700 grand fine. If you want to do that two white, two a deal, 
check him out, see, see if he can give you anything. But now you've got some money, a little bit more money than you should have on the books for a guy that could be hurt in six games. And that's what really is sort of a, you know, as a caveat with me with him is that the constant, the constant injuries and the style he plays at 33 years old is going to lead to more injuries. You would think, I mean, typically you don't become an iron man after being injured all the time. So I, I, I'm really concerned about it. And I just, it was just clunky and weird from the beginning. And again, it's not anything against Kevin Miller because I think he's a serviceable defenseman, but I thought just a minimum deal, would have been fine, but that was sort of, that was a strange, strange deal from the get-go, but Hey, happy birthday. And I'm sure he can do a little extra now. He has a little extra money in his pocket. So I hope it's a great birthday for him. <laughs> um, next item on the agenda, ex uh, director of player personnel, John Ferguson told Fluto Shizawa, he's emphatic about Jakobs Borrell taking on a bigger role with uh, the team, with the Bruins this season. And I, you know what? I, I think, with Jakobs Borrell, it may it may have been afforded to them that maybe they didn't have to go make a big deal for another left shot D because they really think that Saboral can make a jump. I just I'm I'm concerned only that typically really good teams have really good defensive pairs and not a lot of rookies, and they have a lot of young defensemen, and typically that comes back to bite you in the end. So I'm, it's not that I'm down on Saboral, and I think that he could. He's made strides. Obviously, last year had a good year, and, and I think he can give you something. But he's going to have to give you quite a bit more than maybe you need because they still are without that top left shot D. But I'll let Mark go first because he's a you know big Providence Bruins guy and has seen a lot of Saboral. Yeah, um, like I said uh, several times before, big big year last year, statement year in the AHL. Um, and he's definitely going to fight for a spot as he should, you know, he's been in the system since, uh, 2015 when he was a first round pick 13th overall. Um, but it, it's, it, he's got to make it. And like I said before, uh, it's the waiver process has me scared a little bit because a team can just come in and take a younger player like that. And, you know, he's not, he's not an explosive defenseman. Like, like everybody thinks he should be with that, with that first round selection in 2015, but he's, he's a very complimentive defenseman. He does the right things. He, he makes mistakes just like everybody else. That's the big uh, thing on him is he gives the puck up. So there's the things that he's been working on throughout the years, uh, whether it be jumping in offensively or being more of a shutdown guy, he's kind of that two way type of defenseman. So um, I'm looking forward to what he can prove in training camp and to, to try to secure that roster. But again, I'm going to say this, that waiver process makes me scared, but also if he does seem to find a way to slip through, man, that defense down in Providence is going to be stacked. I am, like I said, on the sports gasser uh, last night with Heather, she joined me, which was very cool. I said that, I'm more uh, emphatic about the defense over the offense of the Providence Bruins next year. So, and then you complement that with the goaltending, that back end is going to be really, really shut down and exciting to see. So. Oh, Heather, what do you think about Zaboral? And I know you like defensemen and you have an eye on that and you're concerned about the defenseman like I am, but what do you think Zaboral can give you? Can he give you enough to, to really fill that hole? Honestly, I'm not, 
I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm not really sure all of, any of them can really fill the hole, but I actually like Saboro. I know everyone really loves Jeremy Lozon and them, but I like Saboro. I think, I don't know if he's ready though to fill the hole. Like if he's going, you know, to, it would be better for him, I think, to take on, say, if perhaps Lozon and um, Clifton, whoever looks like they definitely, you know, as of now, obviously no one's been to training camp, but I think he has a good chance this year to really get himself more on the radar just with the team itself, because he isn't, he doesn't make a noise. There's like certain people, uh, certain people down in Providence that the fans and management seems to really like and focuses on. So whether that's what they're showing or just you want to get out because of where they were drafted or whatever reasons. Right. But I think that he would actually be good. You know, I don't, he does some good things and I just feel like we keep talking about it. So stu- I, I know it seems like, I don't know what I want to say, but it's just, we keep talking about it. We're at a point where it's like, you got to kind of let them see if they can handle it or not. And I do agree with Mark though. The, the bigger issue to me is like, I'm not sure he's ready this year, but I surely don't want to lose him either potentially and not maybe get him a year. Like Mark said, like defense is going to be pretty stacked down there and really competitive and get, you know, another year under as well. I'm not one of those people who freak out about draft year or whatever. People take time to develop it, especially defensemen. So like right now, no, he wouldn't be my guy. I'd probably pick, but of the people down there, he is someone I really like. Like, I think he does a lot of good things and I think he's going to be all right. But again, the waiver process, like Mark said, it is always scary when it's like talent, you don't want to give up, but you put them down and I mean, you have to take your chances. What about you, Matt? Do you really... Well, I, I think what's, what's uh, what you need to keep an eye on right now is that we've hammered on the 2015 draft and everybody talks about it being just a disaster. But if Jakob Zaboral becomes a decent player, then you've got potentially Zaboral. And if, the, if you keep DeBrusque or get something for him, that's, that's fairly good. Then you've got Zaboral, DeBrusque, and then Carlo was in the second round. So you, you've got, you know, that's a pretty good, that's not a bad draft all of a sudden. So that, that's what you have to uh, sort of look at if, if that's, uh, you know, if Zaboro can do it. The Seneshin thing is always going to be a disaster. And, and the fact that they let Matt Barzal go three straight times is just a fireable offense. But, but other than and Kyle Connor, some of those other guys, Thomas Shabbat, I mean, you could, you could say that they didn't even take the best defenseman, um, not only missing on Barzal, but you know, that this, if Zaboro comes through and maybe this is kind of what they're thinking, like, let's save some face. Let's, let's give Zaboro every opportunity. A two-way deal is a risk, you know, and, you know, you can lose him. Uh, I think he'll be up here all season long. And if it's a short season, maybe they're looking at the short season too, that you can keep him up there for a short season. If it's 48 or 60 games and get through the season and then move on to year, you know, to the next year, it would be a more of a full season. So there's a lot of factors on Zaboro. Um, I think that, again, Zaboro, Lausanne, Vakanainen, Clifton, we have a lot of young guys there. And without Chara, if he doesn't come back or he doesn't come back for this season anyway, then you, you, do, you are hinging a lot of your hopes on young D sort of across the board there. So that, that's a, that's a concern, but I, I am interested to see what Saboral can do, you know, at the, at the NHL level over the course of a few games and not just being, you know, put in 
one spot here, one spot there, one game here, sit them again, and that type of thing. If you give them a, a, an actual, you know, if you give them a third pair with, with Clifton, then maybe you can really see what you have there. So I'm, I'm interested to see what he can bring to the table. Um, next item on the agenda, Bruins are ranked number one in terms of contract efficiency with an A-plus grade per the athletic. Um, we've seen that the Bruins and Don Sweeney has done a, just a marvelous job, almost a magician-like with retaining his own guys for below market value. And it's been incredible what he's been able to get Pasternak and Marchand and started with Bergeron a while ago of, of getting them to sign and look at the big picture, look at the team aspect, getting them to buy in. And he's done a great job with it. There've been a couple of guys who haven't, you know, Tory Krug was one and now Jake DeBrus seems to be sort of leveraging himself a little bit too, but he had bridge deals with McAvoy and Carlo too. He's been masterful with it. So I don't know, Heather, it, it, it's certainly to me, it's, it's definitely worth an A plus grade or certainly an A in contract efficiency. The only thing I'd like to see is maybe a little more, more risk taking with signing outside of the team. But I, I just want to know your thoughts on it. That's actually kind of what I was thinking. I, I understand we've been the envy of the league for a long time of how do you have all these really high quality players that are willing to take a lot. And we all know why it's just the environment and the expect, you know, and in Tory Krug's defense, he did take a lot of one year deals. And then as he only had that one long deal. So even he played the game till this point, but as we talked about also for some players that you get to a point, you got to kind of do your, what you need to do for you as opposed to the team. And it's nothing against that. Um, and DeBrusque, like we said, I think he thinks he's worth a little more than he actually is, but eventually everything will be fine there. Um, I'm afraid though, that our window of efficiency is starting to run out because the rest of the league has been, as we haven't been signing bigger contracts, the gap in contracts have become bigger and bigger and bigger. So the next time we want a Patrice Bergeron, we can't help but have to pay him 8 million or whatever. Like the 8 million is going to be the cheap contract. Do you know what I mean? Had they signed like Tory, that would have been one of the cheap new kind of contracts. And I'm afraid that our um, executives at some point in the next couple of years are going to get out, um, I guess, outplayed of the game because they don't seem like they're ready to start the process of understanding the next wave isn't going to necessarily be as forgiving. Like the next wave, the rookies are going to get 5 million, not, you're not going to get one of these players. So I do think they deserve it for efficiency because no one has a squad like we've had over the last decade with the money that we've spent on it. And even though we've spent a lot of money, but what the quality we have is nothing compared to some of these other teams. You look at Toronto, you, you know, whatever, just the, like San Jose, like I said, you, spending half your money on your defense for what, you know, and that, but that's what I'm concerned is that if we don't start adjusting to the idea, we are going to have to spend more money on contracts that we used to be able to bridge that we're going to be out of the game. There's a reason we can't get in there for some of these big name free agents. And like you said, risks take a little more because we are so efficient and anything that disrupts that kind of equilibrium can be catastrophic on either side. That's how we are structured right now. So that's my only concern is more not right now, but the future, I think they deserve the A plus now. And I'd like them to at least keep in the A range as people age out and stuff, you know, and we say goodbye to these people who 
created the culture of $6 million. What do you think about uh, Don Sweeney's ability to, to be efficient with contracts? Um, I, I think it's been great. I think it really sets like a standard for the league, other teams in the league to look at uh, how this Boston Bruins team has been structured, uh, the commit to win while not taking uh, a, a huge a contract and, 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 and pushing the Bruins up against it, they, even though they're always up against it. Um, but um, sometimes I kind of think about this in the long term and um, and how this could be a, a downplay and, 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 and a bad thing to do in the future um, with I just have a feeling that sometimes there could be a player that's available. They go out and get him, and then he signs a short-term deal, but then it doesn't get what he exactly wants in the future. So that could like really uh, have a trickle down effect to players that are drafted or, or, you know, like I don't want to go play there because the fact is that they're going to talk me down on my value. That could play a factor sooner or later. I mean, all this, this trend of good contracts is going to end sooner or later. And there's going to be one that's going to put a, a ripple in the, in the water. So that's just one thing that I'm kind of con- uh, concerned about. But other than that, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm totally agreed on the grade on the, in the article um, and hope it continues, but I don't want to see good talent walk away because you can't afford it, you know, and, and, and you're trying to make everything work. And, and again, I, I'm just going to harp on this one for a little bit. Uh, dollar value to me doesn't matter when it comes to team. Uh, it's just like your job. You do not go to your, your uh, co-worker and you say, I make this amount of money all the time. And this is what I make on overtime. That doesn't happen. So it doesn't happen in the thing. So uh, the narrative of, of nobody should make more than Patrice Bergeron, please stop that. Stop that. You're just not putting out an intelligent narrative at all. This is a team. They're built to win structured to win it's not about who gets who and what gets what yeah and i, and I agree and the other thing about that is that if a guy signs three years ago the market changes so you can't just keep you know you can't keep below that guy it's just hard to do but they've been able to do it quite a bit i mean Krejci and rascal the only ones who make more uh which has been unbelievable but you could also make a case that the fact that they've signed these team-friendly deals has really hidden the fact that Don Sweeney has not drafted well. And that's, and if he drafted this poorly and couldn't get guys to sign these team friendly deals, where would they be? And it's a question that you should ask yourself because I think it's bailed Sweeney out some in that he's been able to do it. Now, look, it's, it's his doing getting them to sign these deals, which is terrific. And that's definitely a strength of Don Sweeney, but if they didn't do it, he'd be screwed. Because the, because they haven't developed a ton of really high end, like you, you look at the the draft picks that you know the Lightning have had and the Maple Leafs have had. I mean they've hit on a bunch of, of draft picks. Bruins really haven't done that, and it's it it would have really hurt this team, and it probably will going forward. Now, like you mentioned, it's going to be harder and harder to to get guys to take hometown deals or less money to stay, and there's not going to be a ton of Craig Smiths out there in a couple of years that are willing to take less money in term to try to win and all that. And, and when you move on from Bergeron and Krejci and Rask and Shara, and that's the core, when that's gone, you have to, I think we're seeing it with the Patriots. Once the core leaves, then you have to develop the culture again with a new core. And that's not automatic. 
I mean, that's, that just doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of longevity to it. In fact, they've been lucky to have longevity this, this long with it. So I think it's something that I think Sweeney would be getting even more hammered with the drafts if they weren't taking these deals, because then they'd be really in trouble. They'd be signing guys for too much money. They've been trying, they'd be trying to fill holes. You know, they'd be giving $11 million to Mitch Miner, you know, and, and doing and being reckless and um, and it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of years whether or not they can continue to do that or they're going to have to draft better. It's just one or the other. And right now, the guys they just drafted aren't ready for three years or so. So there's going to be a gap here where you're losing core guys and you don't have guys ready. So you're going to have to be savvy about how who you sign and who, who you trade and, and those types of things. So it's it's a really it's a it's a transition period for the Bruins and hopefully this, this management group can, can do it and do it relatively smoothly. So I think, um, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you had a really good point about creating the culture again with a new class and these players coming in, it's not team sports have changed in a way in hockey that where they're much more, the players are more cognizant about how much money they could and should be making. So it's harder, I think, to create that environment with the newer crop of players who need more individualized kind of attention and all this. And uh, that's kind of the downside of the NHL getting more money to spend more money, you know, and getting players to have more value. So I just, that's a great point that the you, there's no guarantee anyone's buying into this. We might need to make a plan B for what our next decision is on this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Well, Sorry, I think Tory Krug is a perfect example. Like Krug loved it here and they loved him. And, and, and that's, there was an issue with that, with that, but he wanted what his mind, he was 30 years old and needed, this is his big contract. I mean, he can't screw this up or he lose he leaves money off the table. So in his right is to go get the most money. Now, did he, did he get enough extra money to really no. change his life? No. I mean, I, th- I think if you, if you held him in up, you know, up against the wall and said, look at, tell me that you're, you regret not signing it a year ago and they offered it to you, he'd probably say, you know what? Sometimes I do. You know, because I, I honestly believe it wasn't that much more money to, to leave, uproot your life and, and leave a place you love in a place where you're a good fit and to, and to not sign then and then to sign this deal, which wasn't a hell of a lot more, just didn't seem like it would be something that he, I, I think he would have gone back to the table if they did and said, okay, we'll give you the offer we gave you last year. I, yeah. I think he really would have contemplated it. I really, I really do. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think, but I think even with him, he, he wanted to get the most money. I mean, that's, that's what life is. It's a short window of time. You don't, you don't play until you're 65. You know, you play a short window of time, maybe 10 years in the league and you get what, two contracts, two or three contracts and the, and only one of them's the big one. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be uh, sort of a challenge for Sweeney and them with the, the poor drafts that they've had and the, and the amount of prospects that aren't ready there's going to be a little bit of a window here where they're going to have to be creative to stay contending. And I, and I think the draft has been, hasn't been as much of a problem because people say, well, they've contended and they played for the cup and they, well, yeah. But if, if they didn't have guys who, who took less money, then they wouldn't be. So, uh, and that's what's going to happen going forward. So we'll see how it affects them in the next couple of years here. Um, Next item on the agenda, uh, same survey shows that Bruins fans truly do hate their own team. <laughs> um, 
You know, Bruins fans, and I'll say this, I've been a Bruins fan 42 years, probably. I'm 47, probably since I was five or six. Uh, I've been a Bruins fan, diehard for many, many years. But I still contend that Bruins fans can be some of the dumbest people on the planet at times. And also, they hold on to the same stupid narratives from 1975. Harry Sendon, they're cheap. They don't get a goal scorer. They need to fight every night. They, I mean, there's still a bunch, call them the Neanderthal fans. There's still a bunch of them out there, but they are so cynical, probably more than any other Boston uh, sports fan base, is that they are the most cynical. And they, even when they win cups or if they uh, contend every year, they always have that glass half empty. So I didn't know, Mark, your thoughts on Bruins fans in general. Oh, it can be a complete dumpster fire when when uh, not happy. Uh, yeah, we were just um, we are just a very impatient um, fan base, and and I would blame that on the several other sports that are in Boston right now. We're a huge Boston community here, and and uh, winning is at the top of our of our expectations. It started with the Patriots in the early two thousands, and it worked and just built up from there with the Celtics, Red Sox, and so on. So. Um, you know, we're, I think we're very spoiled and when we don't get our own way, we act like a bunch of babies. Um, you know, so it is, it's a, I don't think it's ever going to, you know, uh, get any better. Everybody's going to have their opinion. Social media is going to be the, the outreach for some of the, this hate. And we see it in players like, uh, David Krejci and, and, uh, um, Tuka Rask and a lot of the, and, and, and the management overall, when they do, do uh, do and don't draft properly, so I don't see it changing at all. I wish it would. I wish it was a happier place and so on. But I understand it's not rainbows and unicorns for everybody. So um, I just hope it gets better. And, and, and hopefully after all this bullshit pandemic crap is over, maybe, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel that uh, there is uh, positive things to, to think about and move forward. But until then, you know, people are just going to harp on whatever they can because they have the the so-called right to express their feelings. Yeah, this was the thing, Mark, I was asking you about is I couldn't find my screenshot. You know how it had like the categories and who, where the team was ranked. It was on, it's the same reason how the same survey that we got the A plus on that efficiency, it was like five categories, but it was like one side was like all the, you know how athletic does those, all of the fan base and then your specific fan base. And I kind of, I couldn't find it, but I wanted to do the comparison between everyone else and what people think. It's just weird to me because I mean, we're, so where we were all born in the same decade, some of us are younger than the others, but that's fine. But we were all born. So we were born into, you're just getting older, my friend, couple more weeks. Oh. My point is that we all remember when these teams weren't awesome. We're not in the generation that remembers everything's being milky sweet every year. Someone's got a parade happening. We remember when the Patriots got blacked out on our own TVs because they were so bad that people like it was like um, in Major League that movie where they put the you know bags over their head. It was bad. We used to watch the Giants games because that was drawing more. We remember when they didn't win. We remember when the Bruins should have won more in the 90s and late 80s, but just didn't. We remember that. That being said, I think it actually has more to do with just kind of Yankee elitism because Matt's right when he said we just can't. So like, well, we should have beat Vancouver in six. Like you, you just can't be happy. We won the Stanley cup. It's like, if only this happened in the other, I don't know why we're like that because 
We're also some of the most passionate fans, but I will be the first one to admit Bruins fans are assholes. We hate our own team. I don't know why. I kind of hate other Bruins fans because we hate our own team. I don't know why. Um, We have legitimate gripes at times, but then they turn into bitch fests. And I really do think it's Yankee elitism. Whether we're winning or losing, our bar doesn't change. We could be the shittiest team in a league in one year, and we still expect to be ranked number one the next year. And if it doesn't happen... Like, why aren't we number one? Well, they slated us for number 15. Maybe your expectations are a little too high or whatever. That's just me. But I just thought it was funny because it was like, you know, 75 for the fans on this side. And we're like 32. Like, we hate our own team. I just don't understand because you're right. We have kind of strangely drafted and we've had a lot of luck has helped us be as successful since, you know, whatever, 2010 from that point on or whatever, once we started really taking shape of the team that's today. But God, just shut up, Bruins fans. We are the most crotchety group of people ever. Just, uh. and then we hate like other teams because some people are only Bruins fans. Like hockey fans are the type of fan where they don't care what's happening in basketball or what. They legit only live from October to June. That's their thing. And so, oh my God, these guys, Tuka Rask won a vent, vent, ugh, I can't even say it, Vence trophy. Oh my God, he's the worst goalie in hockey how did this happen you know that's just us i don't know yeah i, I think guys, that, mm. yeah i think i think that um it all changed i think back in 04 when the red sox won the world series because the patriots and red sox had won and i think it changed the rest of the landscape of the teams where that the bruins said okay we we need to have a winner to keep up i really think it changed how the Bruins looked at things because for the longest time they were happy with be, being just pretty good, make the, make a round or two of the playoffs, get, get a few ticket gates and then fine. That's it. Not really go for the extra guy. When they, when after the, certainly after the Red Sox won the world series, they signed Zidane Chara and they get Mark Savard and they really changed the way they did things. And for the longest time, they never got a guy like that. So I think that that's when it changed and I think that Bruins fans haven't let go of the previous time when it always seems like they were never good enough to win and never really made an effort to be good enough to win the cup, or be legitimate cup contenders. And I think that now a lot of them hang on to those old, you know, those old thoughts. And when things go bad, they always go back to the, we need to hit more. We're not physical enough. We need to fight guys. We need to, you know, and it's always that, that reaction, that knee-jerk reaction they have when for the longest time, they just haven't had enough offensive talent to be Stanley Cup contenders. But now that they do, uh, it's a different type of team. And I think there's a a large contingent of Bruins fans that still aren't 100% comfortable with the type of team the Bruins are. And I think that that's uh, a part of it. I think that's why they still seem sort of cynical when they talk about the Bruins because they, they want the big bad Bruins and physicality. They'd rather lose that way than win or potentially lose game seven of the Stanley cup finals, having a different type of team. So, um, so it's just interesting. It's a case study in psychology Bruins fans where they just are constantly cynical and the minute something happens, they can lose, they can win 10 in a row and then lose to the Canadians and the sky is falling and they suck and everybody should be fired. So, um, so that's kind of how, how they are. Um, so the next item on the agenda, actually Bill Daly, it's Bill Daly, right? Uh, Mark? Yes, it is. He had, uh, he had some interesting comments about the start of the season. Um, 
and and, and exactly what the season might look like and when the season could start. Uh, Bill Daly was on uh, NHL Network um, this morning, and um, I want to add the uh, the audio from that. This is courtesy of uh, the, the NHL Network on uh, Sirius XM Radio. So uh, we're going to take a listen to that now, and then we'll talk about uh, what uh, he said, because I think it's very important to hear uh, what the deputy commissioner has to say. Um, and then we'll, we'll just elaborate on that uh, later on. So we'll go right into uh, Commissioner uh, Bill Daly right now. At this point, I, I, I think our, our view is we would like to, for a host of good reasons, try to use this season and get back on calendar for the 21-22 season uh, so that we have a, a, a fairly normal start date for a training camp or for a regular season uh, so that, you know, the 21-22 season looks more like uh, what we would consider normal. So if that's, uh, at the end of the day, what we decide to do, it's going to be a shorter season. Uh, you've probably read, you know, we're looking at scenarios anywhere from 48 to 60 games. Um, I, I, I think it's most likely it kind of falls in, in that zone. Um, that number is affected by your second question, which is we, we do understand and I think we have to plan for uh, the possibility and, and really probably the likelihood uh, that unlike our bubble uh, situation where we were able to escape any positive tests by any players, um, that we are in a more risky situation and probably a, a far more riskier environment and we're going to have uh, COVID positives that we're going to have to deal with in a responsible way, both with respect to, to players who may test positive, but with respect to other other players who may have been in contact with those players. So I think it's only prudent to uh, build into uh, whatever schedule scenario we end up adopting uh, some buffer uh, to be able to reschedule games and to, to kind of uh, move on the fly uh, as, as we need to. I think our, our game and our schedule presents more challenges in being able to do that effectively than maybe the NFL's does uh, with, you know, only one game a week and being able to um, move things around a little bit more from a, from a day perspective. Um, and even Major League Baseball, where, where they may have had multiple uh, cancellations, but they do have the ability to schedule uh, doubleheaders and, and did uh, very liberally this past year. We, we don't have that luxury. So it's going to be a little trickier for us. And, and that's why, uh, to your point, Nick, I, I, I think having a buffer, some buffer zones in the schedule uh, is, is going to be important for our ability to complete the season. So, yeah. So, I mean, in a nutshell, that's what we're looking at right now. And this is very positive. I, I, you know, I'm getting the meat sweats because I'm, I'm so excited, you know, and that's not any time, anything to be excited about, but it's just, we're making a positive step in the right direction to get things done. Due diligence is being done. Um, now it's uh, going to be about, about the NHLPA and the league on how to construct um, where to go and how to make this, um, get this through. So uh, what are you guys' thoughts on what you just heard about what he said and how excited are you to hear that? Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear about it. Uh, the shorter season could actually hurt the Bruins as I'm thinking about it, because if Marshan and Pasternak aren't back, then you, you fall behind quickly in a shorter season. That's the only thing as a, from a team concept, 
I get a little concerned about that. If you come off to a slow start, you have a young defense, you lose your first couple of, you know, your first two superstars, uh, first part of the year, that might get a little dicey for you. But the, 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 the challenge you have is with a league and the NBA is like this too, is that if you start a season in say January and you play a short season, you really want to start that next season as close to normal as possible so that you're not off kilter every single year going forward, because at some point you have to make up the time. And what, what Daly was saying was true in that with, we've seen it with the NFL with positive tests comes rescheduling and you need a buffer there of time to make up games. They might have positives. You might have to cancel games, postpone games. So it's a, it's going to be a sort of a dance if you don't have the bubble concept where people are going to become positive for COVID. And then you're going to have to really be creative in how to maneuver. It's not like the NFL where you play Sundays. I mean, this could potentially be three games a week that you have to move around and you could lose a week. You could lose three games. So that's, that's a little dicey. I just want hockey to come back. And I want them to plug through just like the MLB did, just like NBA did, you know, just kind of just do the best you can to make it through. And then you're going to have to make up that time later for the next season to try to start as close to October as you can. So you can get a full season in because the ownerships, the ownership groups, they need the revenue and they need the ticket sales and the concessions, especially Jeremy Jacobs. So if you want the team to continue to be able to spend money, you need that revenue streams to come in. So, uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited about the prospect of, at least they know, they, they admit it's going to be a challenge, but they're ready to accept the challenge and plug through, which I think is great. Yeah, I mean, they adapted to what they had to do in the spring, right? And it took a little bit, but they worked it out and they overall did an all right. I think we all agree. And there's a lot of pushback from the players. I think that the bubble thing doesn't, you know what I mean? It's one thing to realign the conferences, <laughs> you know, I mean, the divisions, but, the, you know, uh, we also, you know, I mean, he made a good point because I heard him on a couple different places, Tim and Gary Batman talking about, you know, they're just like Mark was saying, trying to stay up on the stuff and make the decisions in real time. Because in real time, on both sides of the border, COVID is going up at a rapid rate. Now, regardless of how one feels about that, you obviously don't want people purposely spreading around potentially things. Um, so I think that in the next few weeks, if they're planning on starting in January, that means training camps have to open sometime in December. I know they're still debating with the with the play, like that's part of the negotiation because normally they have shut, they can go see their families during Christmas, stuff like that. They got to renegotiate that. But I bet by mid-January, it's up and running. What I think would be, I mean, and you want to get as much as possible because like you said, you need the flexibility. But I think it would be interesting if they could construct something between like, let's say they all agree that we're playing a minimum of 60 games, okay? Because between, we've seen it happen in, in the shutdown years, um, in the lockout years or whatever, that that can happen. Wouldn't it be fun? You know, I kind of like the round robin thing that was happening during the summer, right? So why don't we take the last 10 games in case we have to, I mean, one would hopefully by the spring, things are looking a little bit up for this pandemic thing, but do a round robin for those last 12 games. Instead of worrying about having it spread out over two weeks of time, do it over 10 days and do kind of like they did it with all those teams in the thing by the time you, I'm just saying that just seems something, but I, it does look like they're plugging along. I just think that January 1st might be a little too early, just where we haven't heard anything signed in. 
Yeah, I uh, I want to add something that I, I I I meant to put it on the agenda, guys. I'm sorry, uh, but um, my friend and uh, scout over in Finland, and he's the, um, the European scout at Dauber Prospects and the uh, host of the Dauber Draft Cast, uh, Yoki Nevalainen. I hope I said that right, but he uh, reported. I think it was yesterday when I retweeted what he mentioned was that uh, some NHL prospects or NHL players that were overseas on loans have been told that to go back to the, uh, to North America uh, or have gone back to North America. So here's the thing. This seems like it's gaining traction on what, what Daly says in his timeline. So um, international travel requires uh, a mandatory two week um, um, quarantine. Uh, quarantine. So um, this kind of it, it lines up perfectly with the teams um, doing a oh, man. I can't talk today. Training camp, like Heather said, in mid in mid December. So things are lining up pretty good right there. So I'm 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 excited. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I am excited if that's the case, if that they're starting to come over, then obviously they're, I mean, we're getting pretty close here to December 1, and then pretty soon it's turning around pretty quickly. So if you need that window of time, then those those people coming back, that's a that's a great sign. And I'm ready for hockey again. It was great to have it in the summer, and it would be great. And it's been really difficult not to have it in the fall, because usually, you know, we're, we're in the meet, you know, we're, we're really going at it right now with a full schedule of NHL. So not having it has been kind of weird, especially as we approach the holidays here. So I'm really excited about it. So we'll see, uh, see if they can pull it off. Uh, next time on the agenda, Jack Stubnika and Josiah Didier of the Providence Bruins visited the pediatric patients via Zoom as part of the NHL's F, uh, HFC campaign. And again, it's another great uh, job by the Bruins organization to really reach out to the community, reach out to kids. And uh, they've always, all the teams in our, in our city have just been incredible with these types of community reach outs. And the Bruins are no different. They're, the Bruins players have always been great at it. And I just want to get you guys take again on, we'll start with Mark on, on what, they, what the players and the community and the organization has done in the community over the years. Yeah, it's been just a great thing to see. Um, and when, 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 especially children, um, you know, they're the next ones. And, and when they're going through tough times like that, to have somebody or people like this take the time out of their day, uh, regardless if it's contractual or not, uh, it, it, it's so positive. It's so positive for the organization to reflect on, on such great causes and so on. Um, but I'm proud to be a Bruins fan because of that. You know, it, it, the, the, the Bruins, regardless of what a lot of people say, the Bruins are a very class act organization that do give back. So a lot of these professional teams are all on board, regardless of what, um, what, 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 what game they play. So uh, it's, it's just it's always something to, to improve on. Uh, I'm not saying that they're doing a bad job, but to continue to do it and, 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 and just be those inspiration uh, to some people that just uh, they really need it. They would need to get their mind off of, off of the, what's going on in, in a hospital or at home in the daily lives and so on when this, when they're, you know, struggling through to, um, you know, basically fighting for their lives. So it's just, it's just great to see. And, and it just, you know, it puts a smile on my face every time I see it. And, and of course I'm going to retweet all that because it's just positive stuff. How do you feel about them going out in the community like that? 
Well, I, it just really makes me happy because it's not just, I mean, it's not just the main club, you know what I mean? It's something that's organizational wide, you know, that those kids in Providence, you know, maybe they don't get the, I, they get the same visit, say, just because they're not in Boston children's doesn't mean that, you know, their favorite players and being kids in Providence, you know, they probably love the, you know, the Providence Bruins are a lot closer to them. They, you know, they affect it more than kids in Somerville, you know what I mean? Seeing them all the time and they're part of their community. And I just think it is important to give back and maybe, it doesn't seem like it means a lot to some people, but if you're a little kid right now and it's think of how scary it then for us as adults all year. And then we've got these kids who are already way bigger warriors than most of the adults walking around on the planet, you know, and it's good for everybody to have a little mental break. And it, I think it means a lot to the kids to step, to have their, you know, their favorite people, whoever, you know, whatever, maybe a celebrity or a sports person step in there and just how silly it always is like between, you know, Bergeron always leading the charge with the crazy costumes and finding the theme for everyone to show up in or that, um, you know, Josiah and uh, Jack the other day playing bingo with the kids after ask, answering their questions. You know what I mean? Like, I remember the one little girl, she's like, do you like you know, like table hockey, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, yeah, I love it. Like, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. And they're so grounded and hockey players really, it's just like, they're really hanging out with that neighborhood kid next door. you know, like we saw with uh, Charlie Coyle with the mighty coin, you know, so it just warms my heart. Thanksgiving. Yeah, I think we it's should all great. be thankful. I think it's great. I think it's great around the holidays. I think it's great for the families. I think it's great for young guys like Studnika and Didier, who, you know, they're young guys and they can see, you know, they get the opportunity to to go out in the community and see, you know, it's an opportunity to see kids who struggle and gives them a little bit more of a idea of how fortunate they are. And I think it's, I think it's just great for the, for Bruins players and the community to, to show out there. And it just, it just lends to a better feeling among the, among the fans that, that their team is definitely about the community. So I, I think it's great. And I think all the teams do it just a fantastic job with the young kids, uh, whether it's cancer or, or other pediatric patients, uh, they're constantly reaching out to them and, and saying some great things. And I actually noticed the other day, there was a, a young kid, uh, his name was Noah, and it was all over Twitter where he had a stroke and he hung on for a while and ended up passing away. And, and there was tweets going around from Mitch Marner and in the NHL and just several players, Nick Foligno, reaching out to him via Twitter saying, you know, stay strong and, and how much they were behind him. I, you know, it's just hockey players are a different breed. And uh, I just think it's great to see those types of things. And it's such a tragic occasion with that, with that young, young boy and uh, hockey player who loved hockey and had his favorite players and have them all reach out to him. At least he, you know, he can, as he as he moves on to heaven and 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 plays hockey up there, he can he can know that he had all of his hockey stars behind him, and I just think it's great great for the family. So, um, you know, it's it's just it's just there's nothing you can not say nothing nothing negative about it. It's just a fantastic uh, opportunity for for the organizations and hockey players to to reach out to the community. Um, next item on the agenda: the retro jerseys. Jesus, like. This is something that just continues to irritate me. And I'm not sure why it does as much as it does, but I just don't know why 
Now, the Brewers come out with these retro jerseys. They're sort of goldish, sort of a toned down sort of gold with it looked like still a spoke B. So it was a it was almost a it's almost a, a, um, a little bit of the the Pooh Bear thing, the gold Pooh Bear thing with the spoke B. So a little bit of a combination of the two. I just don't know why they don't go to the mid 80s friggin' jerseys that we grew up watching. I mean, we're 40 years away from that mid 80s um, jersey that's so classic. It's the black and the white with the spoke B. And I just don't know why they're so adverse to try to, and to try to come up with this stupid creative. That's not retro if they've never worn it before. Like, I don't get it. Like, so I'm, it just boggles my mind. But someone take me off the ledge and tell me how great they are so I can get past it, please. Yeah, right. I'm not telling you that. I hate them. Oh. They're like horrendous. And I honestly, of all the ones I've seen or whatever, you know, that they have, you know, seen. I don't like most of them. Like you said, they're not a retro Jersey is more like what the flames a couple, a month ago put out like that. Like you said, they wore those classically. They might be a little different, but they are recognizably as eighties, nineties coming from Atlanta flames. You know what I mean? Like whatever that the same reason Calgary kept that classic symbol when they moved from Atlanta in the first place. Uh, What is up with ours? I just, why? Also, I hate the Adidas. I haven't really liked the jerseys that Adidas has come up with since they took over the jersey, you know, kind of creation of these. But no, I think it's horrible. It's got stupid bears that we all hate. We all agree, things like that. And I just, I don't get it. And when it was like retro 90s, I'm thinking, cool. How about like retro 1991? I like those jerseys just fine. Like, let's do that. But yeah. I don't know, Mark. How do you, how do you um, yeah, I, I, I kind of like them. Um, when Pete Blackburn tweeted out the leak, uh, Jersey, uh, I thought it was okay. I mean, it's got the traditional, uh, seventies, eighties, you know, I mean, a B it wasn't bad. The color, uh, I would have rather gone either a white or a black, but the yellow kind of reminds me or the gold, sorry. The kind of reminds me of the Jersey in the 2010 winter, uh, winter Olympics. Yeah. Winter classic, but not the cartoonish B. So it's kind of similar to that. The big controversy was who should be on the shoulders, either the Pooh Bear or the Meth Bear. And at one point, there was a lot of people um, going for the the Meth Bear to be the crest, what you see here. That that should not be the center of attention of a jersey. That's just totally wrong. So uh, I can deal with shoulders. That's fine. It's a small patch. It's not my, the focus of attention. Um, but shout out to Bruins Luchador. That guy, is, uh, he's big on the uh the meth bear and uh so um but you know he he got it he got his wish so congratulations to him but um other than that it's just just another thing for the for the league to make money and and, and <laughs> they need the money right now so this is like not a, a good time for them to to come out with these these yeah. ideas so people can start spending money so it's definitely strategic i mean I, for that very reason but i just i just if it's retro I would think you'd have to like the Canexel jersey with Pavel Burris skating around and like that. That's a classic, even though it's ugly, some people, but it was classic. You know, the the Mighty Ducks, if the Ducks came out with the old Mighty Ducks purple with the duck on there, like just there's this classic jerseys that you wore before retro. It's not retro if you haven't worn the friggin thing. Like, I don't I don't I just I just I just 
want to smash my head against the wall. Like this shouldn't be this difficult to take the the old eighties, early eighties, you know, spoked bee. When I think Bruins, I think of the spoked bee. And I think that anybody who's been involved in the Bruins for any number of years would think that, okay, on the uniform is the spoked bee, 100%, not a bear. Like when, when the hell did that happen? Like, I don't, there's no, I, I don't think of a bear when I think of, in fact, I didn't even know a Bruin was a bear until I was like 20. Like, so I don't, I don't even know why the bear is such a big deal because it's not synonymous with Boston Bruins, the spoked bee is. So I, I like that aspect of it. And I guess I'm, you know, if I wasn't so jaded, I'd be fine with this. I mean, it's not terrible. It's not as ugly as those Pooh Bear things they had years ago that that J Jason Allison and Anson Carter wore back in the late 90s, whatever it was, Joe Thornton's first few years there. Th those are terrible. Those are hideous. But, um, but you know, I, I like the gold that the Golden Knights have. I like that color gold. And I wish that they'd go with more of that type of gold. If you want to go black and gold, that's what you do. But... You know, it's not as hideous as those other ones, but I just want them to wear the friggin' 80s jerseys. And I don't understand why they're so against wearing them, um, but they are. So that's I, so big. I was going to say, from a marketing standpoint, exactly. Keep it simple because if you want, isn't the goal to sell as many jerseys as you can? Yes. So if you're in a different team fan base, but you're a hockey jersey fanatic, you're not going to buy whatever weird, it's not really retro jersey, right? Just like right. you're not going to buy the Pooh Bear unless right. you love it because it's hideous. <clears throat> right. If you put the Mighty Duck on the front of Anaheim, then you have all those kids that were 12 when the Mighty Ducks came out that are like, oh yeah, it's the Mighty Ducks and they go and buy it. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Things like that. Or like you said, right. I love Pavel Bure, but those jerseys were hideous, but like you said, they're classic. That's what right. I think of. I still have a hard time looking at the Canucks as like the right, a Seattle, blue, whatever they are. Yeah, yeah Seattle exactly. colors. The typical yeah. Seattle. No, yeah, yeah, everybody in the Northwest has to have those colors because yeah. you know it's taken there. But yeah. I was just gonna say that from a marketing standpoint, from an NHL standpoint, it would make more sense to make sure the jerseys are more classic. Right either a real throwback jersey you know what i mean right. or like you said at least something that people recognize as to me like, how, how how awesome would it be to wear a, a bergeron 37 in the old in the old 80s bruins jersey and that's freaking cool like and that's what i'd like to do and not wear some some uh some mustard you know bear bullshit i, I don't i don't want that like i, I just don't it just it just irritates me and i don't and i don't again play to your core fans who who remember those days and and what are we doing like what are we doing i just uh but hey that's what they decided to do so um all right we're about the hour mark so i can i'm gonna go hose myself down while we uh while we break it all right, so well, let's take a break, and we'll hear from the great folks up at the store next door in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Please go to the thestorenextdoor.ca, buy some awesome stuff with the recycled hockey sticks. They make furniture. They make Adirondack chairs. They make everything. It's, it's really cool what they do. So go check them out. We'll be right back. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. 
Star Gift Shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. And we are back and just heard from the great folks at the store next door. Please, it's the holiday season. Those guys need some help. And we always uh, try to support them the best that they can. Please go to the storenextdoor.ca and buy some awesome hockey-related stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so NHL tweeted out recently to Bruins fans, the top five all-time Bruins. And on the list were, you know, the, some of the people you would consider. But Cam Neely was one that was left off, and some others were left off as well. It was an odd sort of uh, choice that you had for top five all-time Bruins. And I just want to get your thoughts, uh, guys, on who your top five Bruins all time were and in that tweet in itself. And we'll start with Heather. Yeah. So I had retweeted it because it was odd to me. Um, it was the Chief, Pasta, Espo, Ricky Middleton, Chara, Park, Bergie, or Rask, Marshy, uh, Bork, and Thomas, who I all are great Bruins. I love them all, right? But for my top five, I did uh, Bork, Bergeron, or... Busick Espo, but Cam Neely wasn't on the list. And that was kind of my question too on this is who do you guys think should have been one of the choices for you to pick from? Cause I know Terry O'Reilly wasn't on there. Uh, Cam Neely wasn't on there. So just as you guys say, your top five from that, you know, your top five, like who should have been on this list? Like how is Terry O'Reilly not on this list? I don't understand, but <laughs> that's just me. Milt Schmidt was not on this list. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, it was um, it was a that was a weird one for me, and and not seeing Neely up there was kind of just my my reason to pass over um, the conversation or even retweeting it. Um, the NHL really works in some weird circles sometimes, you know, when they do these when they do these lists and they're not like an, involving a lot of like people that should be on them. I think it just I think it stirs up controversy, which obviously gets them more media attention in that in the sports related field. So um, yeah, is it kind of uh, disappointed in, in the, the choices and so on, but um, Hey, it's Bruins related. So it's kind of good to talk about, but um, yeah, I would have had, I would have had several different players up there myself. Some, you know, you got to look back in history and so on, not just a, a certain time period in my, in my opinion. That's true. And I, and I would have had Oren Bork definitely as the two best defensemen they've ever had as, as two of them. And then I would have had Busick who's up there on the all-time scoring list, Espo and Neely myself. And that's, that's a pretty good five, two defensemen, three forwards, and they'll score tons of goals. And I, I think that's probably my top all-time, but I also never saw Milt Schmidt and, and some of these other guys who, who played uh, for the Bruins back in the old days and, how, you know, Eddie Shore. And how do you, I mean, how do you compare errors, which is always difficult, and who is the best all time? But I think it's safe to say that, you know, obviously Orr would be there with everybody's list. You'd have to be. And I would assume that, you know, Espo and Busick have got to be up there too as well. And I thought Neely not on the list was very strange. 
Um, and I, you know, I think Rask, you know, if you can make a case that Rask has been a better goalie over time than Thomas, at least statistically. So, but again, a lot of people don't like Rask and though, and Thomas won the cup and Rask hasn't been able to do it. So that's going to haunt Rask forever. Uh, so there were a lot of, there were a lot of omissions. I think that it was, again, like Mark says, the NHL does some, some kooky things and I'm not even sure much thought was probably put into it. It was probably just, let's get something out there to get fans engaged and some intern didn't know Cam Neely was on the team. So I don't, who knows, but, um, Next item on the agenda, college hockey is back. Hockey East is back. There'll be no bean pot, though, as uh, they decided not to have the bean pot this year. And the Ivy League has canceled, which I know puts uh, at least one prospect, Curtis Hall, up against it. Uh, But it is nice to see the Hockey East coming back. And uh, we also saw some other uh, Michigan played with John Beecher. So we can start with Mark on your thoughts on on, on hockey East coming back, but some troubles in the ECAC with, with no Ivy league. Yeah. I'm, I'm with, when you're talking about hockey East, I'm really, really looking forward to Trevor Kuntar uh, playing with uh, Boston college. Um, and uh, that's coming up soon, but the um, some Bruins prospects, uh, John Beecher and Jack Becker, uh, they play for the uh, university of Michigan and they started their season um, on Friday night, I believe. And they played last night uh, or they're playing today. Yeah. So they played this weekend. Uh, Becker had an assist in his first game. Jack uh, John Beecher had a power play goal. So both of them are off to great, great seasons, man. Beecher looks so good in his first game. Um, uh, Mel Pearson, the the coach of the university of Michigan uh, Wolverines team is really putting him in really good situations to make him, you know, develop properly and, uh, and when he gets to that next level, have all the tools and skill sets ready to go. Uh, his speed has just been unbelievable. Uh, even the freshman year, you could definitely see it. But in this game, you could definitely see more uh, focus. But I'm, I'm looking forward to more watching more games. I believe there is a game tonight at 7 p.m. So I'm going to be t- uh, watching that. Uh, and uh, who else was the – that was it for college, I believe. Um the whole thing with the Ivy League is, is it sucks. I mean, it's, it's terrible that they had to do this. Um, and the ECAC does have um, a, a majority of, of, of um, Ivy League teams in it. So the ECAC is still going to go on. I don't know how they're going to structure having like four or five teams in that conference and where they're going to play and so on. But my major concern right now for the, uh, the uh, a player in the Ivy League is Curtis Hall, as you mentioned, Matt. And he plays for the Yale University um, Bulldogs. So I was talking about it on the sportscaster last night with Jack Godsell, writer at blackandgoldhockey.com, and some other people that were in the chat about, um, I'm not sure if Heather, you were with us at that time, but um, the, you know, this might force, I think he's too old. He was originally drafted in the CHL by the Flint Firebirds, but I think he's too old to go as an overager to go back there or, or to go there and play and continue to develop for at least a year. So I'm kind of leaning towards that. This might force him to sign a, a, uh, a an AHL or an ATO uh, contract with the boss, with the Providence Bruins, at least uh, to get playing time. So um, it remains to be seen what's going on. I think he could go to Europe, but it's kind of late right now with all the teams already playing over there. So 
the AHL or, or the coast, it makes sense for him to go, but I don't know. We'll see what happens, but there's still no word on, on what he's going to do um, moving forward. So that's all well, I got. I was going to say, yeah. So <clears throat> big 10, right. They started playing this weekend and stuff next weekend. Hockey East starts. Um, it looks like they're doing like every other weekend. So not all the teams are playing, you know, they're doing their back-to-backs like they normally would. And the men and women are kind of mirroring each other. Uh, the women are a little different because of the teams, you know what I mean? They have, but the majority, it kind of follows the same schedule. It looks like they're doing every other weekend and they have, they're having flex schedules, which I'm assuming all the leagues that are running on the college level are doing kind of a similar thing. And they're just going to expand playoffs. Yeah, I did. That's about when I got there, when you guys were talking about that last night and we were joking about how uh, I think Jack jokingly said, let's adopt Harvard and even Yale if we have to, right? Because so people can play. Um, I think if he has to go that way, I mean, that has to be a decision. I, it would be much more sound. I think if he couldn't, if they could work out something again, there might have to be flexibility for some of these players on the normal rules. Do you know what I mean? That apply because what can you do? Wouldn't it make more sense if you could keep that kid at Yale, at least at school and let him play in Providence? Even if it's on a limited basis, he gets to go to practice. He gets to, you know what I mean? Whatever. Well, I see, like, you, you know. can't do that. I know, but this is what I mean though, is like, it would make more sense for him to do that than go to Europe was my point, Mark, because right. at least he'd be, he might be able to continue towards his degree, at least online. And, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. He won't be able to play down. And like you said, I think he's aged out of being able to have any other North American options really at this point. So I just think it'd be, if you're going to have to sink or, you know what I mean? Or change it up like that seems to me, if that's the natural progression, then that'll just have to happen. And then maybe he can at least still kind of get a little bit more school for the school year under him. And the travel schedule, like we said, we know is going to be more restricted in the area. You know, I mean, what can you do? I mean, you can't not have him play at all. No, that's true. Um, and if he does the AHL route or he does the European route, NCAA considers that uh, professional. So he'll will, he will lose his uh, his scholarship. So there's something. There's a lot to think about here. You know. Yeah. Yeah, there is. I I, I like I, what I'm sort of looking at is how kids are how the kids are going to respond to a season like this, and whether or not some of them may leave college hockey after next year. You know, guys like like uh, Beecher or a guy like Matt Boldy, who was a first round pick of the wild who plays at BC or Alex. I know Alex Newhook uh, is playing when the world juniors, but he's at BC and some of these guys going to leave a year earlier or stay a year or more because they didn't get the full college experience. So I don't know if that's going to determine some people, some of the kids and how they, how they look at their college you know, career or their hockey career. And if they're going to use this season as, you know, it's just kind of a, a weird year that I want it. I want the full experience the next year. Maybe some will stay longer. Maybe some will leave earlier. So it'll be a lot of moving parts here. I think when it comes to the college hockey season and teams and players and, and draft guys who've been dra- picked in the draft already and have a chance uh, and teams have rights to them and have a chance to go play professional hockey. If it just gets too clunky in college and if they can survive the whole season of a college season, 
it, could it be shut down and then what happens then and so uh, it's going to be uh, a little bit of an interesting take on what what happens with all of these college players uh, and now the Ivy League kids can't play and that's a whole, all encompassing and then ECAC has to change some scheduling and don't have all the teams and it's just sort of a mess. Um, so I guess it's good for, but it is good for Trevor Kuntar. He's going to play with some really high-end talent on a team that's projected. A lot of people projected to make the Frozen Four if there is one or or be a national contender, playing with great players, uh, high draft picks. So it'll we'll get to see what he can do for sure at BC. And right in the backyard, which is nice too. Yep. Um, and then one more item on the agenda here is David Pasternak. He's always been pretty good on the mic. I really, I have to say it. I, I really like those Duncan Duncan commercials with him. <laughs> like I don't know. I just like his personality. He's got sort of a dry wit to him, and um, and he has sort of a wit that's a little bit. His personality is a little different than Rask. They both sort of have that European personality, but he has more of a sarcastic wit that plays in Boston, and I think that people kind of like that about him. Uh, and he's also good at growing mustaches. So I wanted to know what you guys thought of his mustache. Go ahead, Heather. <laughs> no, that's why I was like, um, he, he is just really funny. Like he is a kid who is just naturally very comfortable in being him. He's like, and he is per kind of perfect for this town, right? He's really sarcastic, but like funny, like, how, like, a like, it's like a Lenny Clark or whatever, like kind of that wit and humor. And he's also a little bit like, you know, he's definitely a marching to my own drummer, you know, but that mustache, I'm like, he looks like a totally different kid. It's like totally squared off, like not quite going the full thing, but um, just, I thought it was funny seeing him do it too, because he's like, I'm like, why does his English sound better when he's in the Czech Republic than when he's in Boston? <laughs> he was asking the questions and I just thought that was funny, you know, and then he was answering or whatever, but yeah, I love pasta. He's just such a good personality. And like, he, he is a good new face for this organization going forward of, you know, he's, he'll be remembered for being able to play with the Marshies and everybody in the, you know, Bergerons, but as he becomes the guy, like he's, he keeps on court. He is just so great. I just love having him out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very fun, very fun uh, player. Uh, and, and, and just the end still energetic, even though it's the off season and so on and he's home and he's doing his thing or, or he's uh, over overseas, but um, no, I, he's he's definitely got a career behind the mic um, when it comes to possibly retiring at the end of his career. So uh, lot, lots of good things. Good to see him. Good to see him out and about, you know, and, and hopefully he's staying healthy um, with his uh, his injuries, which are, are you know, Marshan and Pasternak both are projected to be out a little while. Uh, I'm hearing Marshan's going to probably be on time for when the NHL gets going while my uh, past act might be a little, a little longer. So see what happens, but no, it was good to see him. Good to see him having fun, you know, and, and, and just, just spreading the, he's such a great ambassador to the game. You know, it's just, it, just the way he is and the way he acts and, and yeah, I, I do like those commercials too. I hate Dunkin' yeah, Donuts, but I like the commercials. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think that um, the NHL doesn't, doesn't really market their players enough. I think this is refreshing to see like David Pasternak's personality. Like, I think that the NHL has never really done a great job of like, do you know, I mean, some of the great players in the game, do you really know what they sound like when they talk? Like I, you know, some of them, I've never heard them speak like, or seen them on much of anything. And it's too bad because I think there's a lot of them with great personalities and great sense of humor and 
Um, and I think they should do it more often. I think they should be out on, on TV and marketing products and the league more, even more often. I, I like Pasternak a lot. I like, he's a terrifically talented player, scores a tons of tons of goals, which is great. And one of the great goal scorers they've had in a long time, maybe since Neely, as far as the numbers he puts up and the, the ability to put the puck in the net, uh, he's terrific and he's still very young and, and he's, uh, he's very, very talented and he obviously embraces playing here. And, um, and I look for great things to continue for pasta for sure. I think he's great. Um, all right. It's time now on the agenda for the Inga rant. Heather <laughs> Ingerson's ready to, ready all right, to I'm going to try to be all right about it, but okay. all right. So this is a rant. First of all, I'd like to say this all stems from, um, Madam Kim, uh, Kim Ning being appointed the first general manager in major league baseball. Ooh, she is awesome. Lots of experience. And she probably should have been a GM in this league friggin' 15 years ago, whatever, 10 years ago. She's awesome. Uh, but what sparked my thing was, so this guy, I won't even say his name, but he had tweeted out like, forget about just baseball. A woman's never been a general manager of any major American professional sports team period until her. And she was hired by the Marlins today. Their CEO is Carolyn O'Connor. The Marlins three highest ranking officials are two women and an ex shortstop. So that first of all, in itself, you, that shortstop, you mean, uh, Derek Jeter, like, is that who you're talking about? Like only one of the best professional athletes ever, whether you hate the Yankees or not kind of thing, like that guy into, but just like, you know, the tone, obviously like, oh my God, no wonder why the Marlins. Okay. So anyways, um, Anna, Anya Packer, who I don't know if you guys know, like, and she, she plays for the NWHL. So does her wife, Madison. So she had kind of, you know, retweeted and said, and she said, let me say this again. It's a damaging narrative to ignore powerful female GMs throughout the NWSL, NWA, and the NWHL. Women's sports equals uh, major American professional sports. Get it right or get the hell out of the way. You know what I mean? Because, and it just, it just sparks to, and again, I think I said to you before we went on when I gave you a little preview of my rant, I just like to rant, not at men in general. I understand that there's a lot of like, whatever, we live in an environment where but I would like to give a shout out to all the idiots out there that somehow feel when a woman gets appointed to a powerful position that she's earned. I'm sick of the narrative of like you're underqualified. First of all, Miss Anya's right. There I have been general managers just because it hasn't been in the big four or five male sports doesn't mean there haven't been women in those high ranking positions. And you guys might be shocked to find this out there. There are a lot of women in high ranking positions and a lot of major leagues, major league, you know, NFL, this and that, you know. So I just want to say to you people out there that one, you need, there's no wonder you have no girlfriend to like be around because <laughs> you're an idiot. Most men are like, what are you talking about, dude? She's going to kick ass. She's going to like, there's a whole entire city. That's like, she's going to help save this organization, baby. Like, you know, stop being a troll. She is smarter than you, more capable than you. And she is certainly, and the other women who earn their positions are more qualified than some of the idiot men around them that have their positions that aren't qualified for. So don't act like just because a woman got it and not like just like a crusty old white baseball guy or whatever, that that somehow means it's to fit the quota because she's a woman. Screw, she's earned it. And so has everyone else who have had the things. So I just wanted to say that. Screw like it's stupid. I know it's not most guys, but what can you guys maybe explain to me? Cause I don't, I have different parts than you of what is it in testosterone 
that makes dudes feel threatened. This guy who's at home on his couch scratching his nuts feels threatened of women, like a woman has reached the pinnacle that she could get to and should have been, again, it's been a long time coming. Can, I'm sorry, that's it. Okay, go. Yeah, I I, I, I don't get involved in that. So I, I, I am all about equality. So if a woman can do the job that a man can do, awesome. You know, congratulations to her and all her success and, and, and to the organization moving forward because they obviously you know, saw something in her that they can grow and in the future looks bright. So I have nothing but congratulations to say. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm the guy scratching the knots and just sitting there, just, you know, uh, you know, enjoying all this good, good stuff that people are getting opportunities for. There shouldn't be any negative towards any, anybody progressing, you know, it's, it's not like my job, my regular job, when somebody takes my job over, I'd be a little pissed off at that. I understand that, but it's not about um, who it is and, and what the sex is, in my opinion. I, I agree. I, I think that I, I'm 47, so I don't have nearly as much testosterone as I used to. So unfortunately, I can't speak to that. But I do. I, I, I saw it and didn't really think anything of it because I, you know, general managers are, are general managers. They pick the players, they trade the players, they sign the contracts. And I don't really consider it a big deal. And that, I guess that tells you what I think about that whole thing. If, if they think that she's qualified to do it, then she's quite, there's certainly a ton of GMs out there right now, not qualified to do it. They're doing a, they're doing a terrible job. So you might as well, I mean, she's going to get her opportunity and she's probably going to get scrutinized and she's probably going to get applauded and it's going to go back and forth. And, you know, we'll see, see just like any other GM, I think in trending in baseball is baseball actually has been a little bit different in that younger people are starting to be GMs like Theo Epstein started this trend and Heim Bloom is young and young business sort of oriented people are becoming GMs now and less baseball people because it's so analytically driven. Uh, so I think that's into her advantage, probably that she's probably very analytical and, and has that business savvy. So that that's probably part of it too. And it's a different, it's not just old, you know, old former players or old, old baseball guys being GMs anymore. It just doesn't happen anymore in hockey. Actually, a lot of the GMs are former players and they are former executives and they are former coaches and that type of thing. So it's hockey is a little different in that it is sort of an older guy, former player, still uh, picking players and, and trading players and being the GMs. And, do, and a lot of them being successful, like Steve Eiserman and some other guys, Donnie Sweeney's been, you know, done a fairly adequate job. And so those, those guys and, and NHL is different than baseball. And it's really sort of a, it's its own culture hockey. And they sort of have a small culture of people who take those jobs, but I think it's great for her. And I, again, she's going to be scrutinized and applauded and depending on how well the team does. And at the end of the day, it's not going to matter what her gender is. Uh, uh, hey, before, before we go into our next topic, um, uh, I forgot to add this. Um, again, I apologize for the slacking, um, but five minutes each for fighting. He is at the underscore ref 43. Great dude. Uh, good friend of mine. He brought up a very good topic that uh, that certainly does need to be uh, just a, a couple of minutes. But he wrote to me uh, in a city that has a reputation of racial issues in the sport in sports arenas. Can someone please tell me exactly why Willie O'Ree has not had his name or number rightfully raised to the rafters at the Garden? 
And he continues to go on with another tweet for a city that that was the last in the major league baseball to integrate, to actually have had the first black NHL player. It's absolute travesty that this organization hasn't done this and it needs to be done while the man is still with us. Can I guess, can I get, I, I totally agree on that. I think that what really redid did uh, f- for black folks uh, is in the past and what he's doing for the kids nowadays, because he is a proponent for going to certain areas and making these things uh, known and, and, you know, and, and a constant drive for, for, um, for um, uh, you know, equality. So Heather, what are your thoughts on Willie O'Ree and should he get a name and number uh, raised to the Raptors? Um, I think not only should he already be in the Raptors, I do think that he should have his number retired by the NHL. I know you're, you're iffy on the retired numbers and I generally do agree that it should be a team retire your number and not a league, but let's face it. Like, he is the Jackie Robinson of the NHL. You know what I mean? It's again, just like there were professional uh, African-American players before, you know, but to really break that barrier to be the first one or the Roberto Clemente or whatever, that should be honored. And if we truly want to own what we mean that, like we were just talking about, everyone should be based on what they can show you, right? What they're what they've done. And he did a lot, not just being the player he's done even more since he was a player to help even against all odds, it seems to really get that hockey is for everyone and not just about if you're a minority kid or whatever, but just, you need money, you need what, how to make it accessible so that every kid that wants to be on that ice, regardless of your gender or your race or whatever can be on that ice play and get the experience that, other kids get simply for maybe their opportunity or whatever. So I think it's ridiculous. It hasn't been done yet, Matt. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, first off, I, I do want to say that I think that the Bruins have done a, have recognized Willie O'Ree and I don't think they've been totally negligent in recognizing Willie and, and what he brought uh, for African-American players. And so I think they have, they have done some good things by him as far as recognizing him. I think they respect him and what he's done a lot. So I don't think it's been a completely negligent thing on their part. I, I would put, you know, similar to Jackie Robinson type of thing, I would put like a banner up in each arena with his likeness or in his, uh, his name or years or what have you. I, I'm not sure I would know retire the number kind of thing but i would definitely put something that would would acknowledge him and what what in his part in history in the nhl for sure i I think that that's a good idea and i think that's something they should they should do i but i also don't want to say that the bruins have never done anything or don't recognize it because i think they do i think i really do i think they i think they do and i i think that uh i know willie o'ree and that's because the bruins have honored him at times and and put that up in the forefront or I wouldn't. So I, I, I think I know just judging by my knowledge of it that they have, but I think that the league could probably do a little bit something, especially in this climate and the, and the awareness that we have now of, of this type of thing and social and racial uh, 
<clears throat> social and racial issues, I think that it would be a good time to do that in, in arenas around and maybe even have a, a game where everybody wears his number or, or similar to what baseball does with Jackie Robinson, something like that. I think that something can be done. And just like in society, something more can always be done. But I, I don't want to say that the Bruins haven't, that it's been, um, you know, something that they've completely ignored or anything like that, because I don't think that's true. I think they have uh, honored Willie O'Ree in the past and continue to do so. And I think they respect what he brought uh, to the game. So that was my that was my thought. Any ask BNGs out there other than uh, we just had for a couple, fighting? Yeah, and, and we just had a more? couple real quick. So um, Ray Guarino, our old friend who always comes through, says when the season starts, if Marshawn is ready and Pasta isn't, who plays right wing? Sidnika. I like Sidnika there too. Yep. I'm gonna say Sidnika, and I know that some in the media. And some uh, who cover the Bruins quite a bit are a little apprehensive because he's young and he's still sort of slight and, and not seasoned enough. But I think you, this is your time right here to give him a month, six weeks to give him a chance to see what you have in him. So I, I agree hundred percent. Um, I still hold, I am one of those people, a little skeptical, but as I've said before, uh, playing a whole season on the top line uh, at right wing is a little different than again, like you said, like a month or six. I mean, I'm not worried about him being able to, even if it's for a long, short time handling himself. I just, my concern would be more like an 82 game, you know, 65, right. leave sure. it there. So uh, yeah. that's Danica seems to be the most. I'm not, I mean, we're probably not going to put Kasha up there, right? Wouldn't you no. want to just keep him down with Krejci and whoever? All mm -hmm. right. So the next one is from Northern Light Sports. Hello, everyone over at Northern Light Sports asked, uh, what is taking so long with the Bruins signing DeBrusque? Do you seriously think Chara may play somewhere else this year? Um, I will go with the DeBrusque. I'm not overly worried. He's RFA. They have time to work things out before the league. Uh, gets back to training camps and so on. So this this time we got McAvoy, we got Carlo, we even got Pasternak right up at the eleventh hour sign. So I'm not overly worried, but I'm also thinking that the the time that he's not signed, the Bruins are exploring options possibly to move him to create a little bit of uh, cap uh, space and possibly an addition somewhere, whether it be on the defense or the offense. Who knows? But um, We'll see what happens from there. But the Chara thing, uh, still, still, it's still waiting. He wants to see what the landscape's going to look like, as Bill Daly mentioned in the in the uh, in the audio clip that we I added. So, um, I I don't know about the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Islanders, and uh, and several other teams that might be interested in them. I mean the. They're probably doing their due diligence to get to shore up their lineup and get ready. And 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 I would be one that would, would call certainly on a one year deal of one million. But um, you know, I'm still standing firm that you know I, I want that roster spot to be uh, a Bruins prospects. But if he does have to come back for the leadership purpose and so on, and it works out, then I'm not going to hate it. But I think this should be the last year that he should be a Bruin. So hang him up and and go out with pride, in my opinion. I, I think that Jake is going to go pretty much to the wire with this. And it's going to be similar, I think, to when Pasternak was up and couldn't even go into the season. I don't think he has a lot of urgency to do it because of the climate of the season and pandemic and probably didn't love the bubble either and all those things. He's probably seeing what the season looks like 
he's probably taking his time. His dad was a former NHLer, so you know that he's given him advice on, you know, this is a big contract and he knows the league. So I think that that plays a part in it too. So that could go right to the end. And I think I still, I've said this before and I'll say it again. This is Sedano Chara's decision and he's the one waiting because again, I think the bubble is not an, you know, real great situation for him. Didn't love it. Uh, wants to see what the season brings. I wouldn't put it past him to, to either not sign until mid-year or so, or even potentially if there's COVID positives and in just very erratic season, I wouldn't put it past them to take the season off and play a farewell tour the next year, because it's only less than a year away. So I, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't, I wouldn't put that on the, on the back burner. I think that he may decide that, you know what, this season may not be for me and, and wait until the next year, train all year. And again, it's less than a year away if they start next October. So he might do that. So who knows? But I think it's all Zidane Ochara's decision right now. I think they would have signed him already if he wanted to sign. So, and I don't see him going on another team. I really don't. I, I don't think it makes any sense for him. I really don't. I mean, he's won a cup. He's a, he's a legend here. He's been here for 15 years. Like he, he should, he, he, I think he knows his value here, his legacy here, all those things to go to friggin' Vancouver for a year is, is stupid. Yeah. Why you uproot your uh, family? Why do that? I just don't, why at 44 years old, why would you even do that? I just, I think there's every opportunity here. He's, it's not like he wants the money. He's taken an incredibly low salary for years. Like, so I don't think that's the point I, I, to go and get a 500 grand more from somebody else is, is ludicrous, I think. So I think I think he's it's really about when he wants to play. Is it this year? Is it halfway through this year or is it even the following season? Because, again, it's not it's not even a full calendar year away. So maybe he does that. So who knows? True. I, I think he may be I think he'd definitely be back with the Bruins if he plays. I don't see him with somebody else. Um any this week in Bruins history there, Mark? Oh, I'm I sorry. Do. I'm sorry. Okay, Can we just, uh, we know we already talked about this to so just give a yes or no answer. I don't want to ignore Clovis Roy who asked us about Zaboral just real quick. Just give me a okay. yes or no. Do you see Zaboral as a third line regular pair next season? Just yes, yes. or no. We already kind of talked about it. Yes. All right. Third, so that's third pair with Clifton. Okay. Boom. three. So three yeses. Thanks, Clovis. I didn't want you to. Yes, we I, didn't even know. I thought we only had two. No, we had three. It's all right. Go ahead, Mark. Nice did he do the hashtag? He did, yes. Oh, I don't, then I missed it. I'm sorry, Clovis. My bad. Clovis, thanks. <laughs> All right, so this week in Bruins history, it's actually today, Monday. No, that's next year. Uh, um, on November 15th, 1973, Bobby Orr had three goals and four assists in the Bruins' 10-2 win over the New York Rangers. Wow, 10-2. Three goals and four assists, a seven-point game. How's that, Matt? Huh? Amesbury Heights, huh? Yeah, you were right on it. <laughs> wow. Seven points from a defenseman. A defenseman. It's That's crazy. just absolutely crazy. Yikes. Some defensemen don't have seven points all season. I know, right? <laughs> I know it. I know it. I think we just signed one in Kevin Miller. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, sorry, Kevin. Happy birthday. Happy yeah, birthday, guys. <laughs> uh, definitely want everybody to check out blackandgoldhockey.com. We have all sorts of articles going out every single day. Still great Bruins content, information, speculation. 
check out blackandgoldhockey.com. Lots, lots of great writers on there, including myself and Mark and many others. And uh, great content every day right through the off season. So check it out. And also go to the little margins there. We have fanatics. Buy stuff from the fanatics through our website. Um, you know, check that out as well. Betonline.ag. Go place your bets. Use CLNS50 and help us out. And Mark has a mention about Patreon. Yes, we do have, uh, we continue on our Patreon campaign. It's been going good, and we just got an influx of um, of members today. So thank you very much to the new members. Ashley on Facebook, she's donating a dollar. But the exciting news is I purchased a jersey, a, C, a signed jersey from a Boston Bruins player. His name is Anders Bjork, and I have the jersey. And what we're going to do is that we're going to do a jersey giveaway a month. So I'm gonna buy a jersey with your funds. Everybody that's uh, that's that's uh, um, on the Patreon and they're a member and they're financial contributor. That money is gonna to go towards recycling more stuff for you to win. So it's all about you guys, the listeners, and and the financial contributors. So there's, uh, for June for January, I'm sorry, there will be an Anders Bjork jersey giveaway. It'll be a bonus Patreon. So these things are going to just be that. We'll still do the weekly giveaways on the regular Bruins-related items, but the jerseys are going to be a bonus thing every month for the next couple of months or the upcoming season. So really excited about that. I'm working with a new company right now that uh, has sold me the jersey for cheap and so on. But you know, I think we're going to work on some uh, some acknowledgement for them too to kind of you know, work out uh, a nice little relationship. So Anders Bjork has been purchased and uh, it's a great signature and it's from JSF uh, Certificate of Authenticity. Um, I probably said that wrong. It is a JSF certificate. So um, all certified, all handwritten and everything. So it's, it's really cool. And it's just for a dollar. So you donate $1 per episode. When we do episodes, we could do six to eight. We could do only four. It's not that much of an investment. So if you get on board, you will be eligible for all these items plus jerseys, even jerseys like this. You know, we're getting, it's just a lot of good things. So it's just our way of giving back to our listeners and our financial contributors. So we appreciate them and the new guys that are coming in and the future ones that are coming up. We certainly, uh, you know, the... The uh, support would be greatly appreciated. So thank you very much to everybody out there. We have pucks. We have T-shirts. We have a ton of stuff. So we're looking forward to uh, really kicking this off uh, and doing these random drawings in the beginning of January. Awesome stuff. Awesome, awesome. All right, episode 203 in the books. Mark and Heather, another great week. Uh, Awesome stuff today. Really appreciated it. Always good to talk hockey on the Black and Gold Podcast. And thanks all for listening. And tell all your Bruins buddies to listen to our podcast every week as well. Have a great week, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please share the show with your friends and family and don't forget to subscribe to and leave a five-star rating for the show on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Between shows, help us keep the Bruins talk going by visiting our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, by sending an email to blackandgoldhockeyblog at gmail.com and by following the show on Twitter at blackandgoldpod. Peace out.